My mother believed and my father believed that if I wanted to be president of the United States, I could be, I could be vice president. This is America. Former Vice President Joe Biden has been elected president of the United States. It is my greatest honor and privilege to have been your president. We will be back in some form. We are still deeply divided. Public health experts warned this was coming unless more was done. And here we are now. Are you proud of what happened here today? Absolutely. Never before in American history has there been an uprising like this. Of the 75 million Americans who voted for Donald Trump, I don't know how many today are feeling, dear God, what was I thinking? But I would wager a lot more are thinking, let's carry on this fight. Character matters. It matters. Tell them the truth matters. The 21st century is going to be the American century. Because we lead not only by the example of our power, but by the power of our example. That is the history of the journey of America. You're very welcome to this week's edition of An Irishman in America. The non-COVID edition. Yeah, I feel like I'm over it. We had to cut the episode short last week for the first time ever. You can hear it a little bit still in my throat, but for the first time ever I had to be go. I had to throw in the towel, Marion. Last week I was literally like, that's all I got. I gotta go. You know what? I I have to say, you sound an awful lot better this week, Charlie. But yeah, indeed, <laughs> you were because let's let's face it, it's not often you throw in the towel on anything. So so it, it was a measure of how great you were feeling. Well, boy, oh boy, do we have an episode for you today? Uh, we're going to start out by talking about Tesla CEO Elon Musk and his best and final offer to buy one hundred percent of Twitter. We're also going to talk about Joe Biden and his description of genocide in the Ukraine and why that's not making an awful lot of people very happy. We've so much more to get through, including the Johnny Depp Amber Heard case. We'll also talk about the piece that I had to throw in the towel on, which was the abortion law uh, situation in America. And has Donald Trump lost his shine? Does people not showing up to your gig doesn't necessarily mean that you're a bad comedian. We've known that he's a bad comedian for a long time, but the tickets aren't shifting. And if you want to hear the whole episode, every last bit of what I've just described there, come on over to patreon.com forward slash Irishman abroad and for the price of a pint every single week, you'll get the XL version. We're going to give you a good chunk here to start with, Marion, because I feel like We've touched on Elon Musk a couple of times on the show. He's never far from the headlines, but you wouldn't describe yourself as a fan, but you definitely have respect for the man. Yeah, you know, I think that love him or hate him or be in between, and it's hard to be in between on him, really. The guy is very brilliant. He's very brilliant. He's a visionary. And he's also, you know, he's a bit of a huckster as well. He knows how to he knows how to self-publicize. He knows how to market himself. He knows, like Donald Trump, how to keep his name in lights, how to keep himself in the news. And, you know, part of me thinks, doesn't he have enough going on in his life? What with, you know, this the whole SpaceX, which I find really impressive. I mean, I do find his his going boldly where only a few people have really gone before in space. And and the fact that NASA, you know, wants to use his his um, expertise in space and that they, they're doing up this deal with him and Elon Musk is all fed up. And even the space race, you know, the billionaire 
barren space race. He, Richard Branson, and and as I said, Jeff Bezos, and the, the you know the run to get into space first last year. It really was exciting, you know. Hmm. And of course, the old guy Branson stole a march and all by pulling a sneaky one. But effectively, you know, Bezos did kind of get up there first, I think. But then you know, Musk just did it better. It's like with his cars. I don't know if you've ever been in the Tesla. I've only been in Friends. I did take one for a test drive once, and, and they let me go with great reluctance, I have to say. <laughs> the guy didn't want to give me the keys at all, and he really wanted to come with me. And I just said, no, sorry. You know, this this I'm doing this solo. And uh, and I remember taking it up Mulholland Drive in, in Los Angeles, and just the beauty of the, of the car itself, the design, everything about it, and just thinking, you know, the, the Musk just does things. He's a design whiz as well. You know, mm. I mean, as well as a visionary, I respect his whole climate change ethos. I mean, I think he could do more. I think he, he sort of talks, I mean, of course, the electric car, and of course, sharing technology, and of course, you know, this thing that he wanted to do, which was to just have battery chargers everywhere, and, you know, anyone could use them. I think he is... I think he could do more, but he's certainly doing his bit. The, tempered with that is the arrogance, the unhappiness with some of his workers. They claim that the stories of sexual harassment and bullying at some of his his um, workplaces. Uh, including the one in Los Angeles, which looks like something literally from another planet. Uh, you know, so I, I'm ambivalent about him. I'm ambivalent about his politics. I'm ambivalent about the, the reasons that I think that that he he is a disruptor. Now, disruptor isn't necessarily a bad thing at all. There are plenty of things that need shaking up. With Twitter, yeah, you know, is Twitter underserving its customers? A lot of people think it is. Is Twitter treating its customers badly in the fact that it won't distinguish between fake accounts and real accounts? And, you know, I, I think Twitter does take its customers for a bit of a ride, but then it's a free service. You know, it's uh, you can take it or leave it. You don't have to join it. But his his latest missive is that he's he wants to buy the whole thing for forty, either forty one or forty three million. I'm not quite sure which, but the share price would be uh, fifty four dollars and twenty cents, which is I think thirty eight forty percent higher than it was before he bought his initial nine point seven. I think it was percent share in it. I mean, the good news for for shareholders in Twitter is that. It's trading now at about 15% of where it was before he got involved at all. But now, you, of course, Tesla, the shares in Tesla have dropped simultaneously because people are asking, as you would, well, A, where is he going to get the money from? And B, does this mean he's going to take his eye off the Tesla ball? You know, Tesla, people forget that he, he did, you know, the Tesla shares uh, went up and down like yo-yos un, until about a year ago uh, because of the crazy things he said and did and the fact that he had all these supply chain problems long before COVID and he wasn't really taking care of business in the way that he should have been. He was like a very bright kid who gets distracted, who masters one game and then gets a little bit bored and then runs off to another one. So I suppose there is a legitimate concern with, with you know, analysts and, and shareholders in, in Tesla. Like, you know, what's this about? Is he going to be taking money or trying to take money out of Tesla? Is he going to be, how's he going to pay for this? Because the thing is that it's $41, 43000000000 billion is, even for Elon Musk, <laughs> that's a chunk of change. And so Morgan Stanley, I think, are handling the, the um the financial advisor end of things for him. But if he will he go for a hostile takeover? Because I can't imagine that the board of Twitter are going to say, sure, come on in. You know, Parag Agarao, I can never pronounce his name. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Agarao, 
I, will you do People it People know me? who you're talking about anyway. <laughs> okay. The CEO of Twitter. Um, and uh, I can't imagine that that he's going to just hand over the company to, to Elon Musk, and, you know, that, that they're going to go along with this, which means there'll probably be a hostile takeover if Musk is serious. But then again, this is probably just another publicity stunt. He wants people to know he's arrived at Twitter and by God, he wants to shake it up. But the fact that he's now not taking a seat, you know, on the board suggests that he has got some plans that the board may not be too happy about. So I suppose we'll wait and see how this all plays I, I, out. I just um, don't know what's going on here um, yeah. because there's so much of this. Is like, I'm like, why are you telling me this? <laughs> it's so, yeah. it's some of why I was reading this story and I was going, right, just kind of going back to basic principles. Why is Elon Musk so rich? Tell me, tell me, let's start there. Like, what has this man made these billions from? Right. I, I, his main thing, like he's done a number of things, some haven't worked, but Tesla, Tesla, his his cars, he was really at the forefront of the whole electric car business. And he, you know, other people were doing electric cars, but they were a bit clunky. They were a bit not very attractive looking. He, he decided that Tesla was going to be beautiful in design and, and sort of barrier shattering in concept and in technology. And I think that he really did uh, succeed with that, as I say, notwithstanding that there were a lot of problems with the, on the production lines, there were labor problems, etc. But uh, with, you know, with especially the Biden green agenda, well, we wonder and we wonder where that's gone now, but that's a whole other subject. There was great confidence and the infrastructure that Biden would do what he said, which was to really sort of like invest in green energy, invest in electric cars, invest and having electric car chargers all along the highways, in, you know, in different places that they were accessible to everybody. And then, of course, there was also uh, Musk was, was getting involved in the, the lithium batteries, allegedly. Now, he also had this other thing which has gone nowhere so far. It was going to be the equivalent of the Chinese bullet train, that he was going to have a really fast uh, circuit transport loop in, in um, California, which it could really use going between LA and San Francisco and going, you know, between other places. So his stock, his the stock in um, Twitter, which had been, I beg your pardon, in Tesla, which had been very, very volatile, has has soared and stayed sa- stable now. Um, he has different models of cars they're not too expensive for what you get so there is a big demand if if you um, are in california every second car now is a tesla okay because that's why i was like i was like i don't see any of these cars here like i see the odd one here yeah i'm like how is this going how is this guy this big and why why then can he switch to twitter or try to or have this vision for twitter which to me, seems like a social media platform, which a bit like Facebook is teetering on the brink that it could have its moment and be gone. It seems like a huge bet to place. And what experience does he have of that end of things? Not too much. I mean, Zip2x.com, PayPal were all things that he was involved in. But this seems very weird to me. This just it just seems weird. What? What, why is he doing this? I think he's doing it because, I, you know, these guys, it's it's like, why did he do those stupid flamethrowers, you know, for which, which were a hot thing a couple of years ago? Because he can, I think largely is the mm. reason. Because he's showing he's, off. 
Yeah, he's showing off. He's, you know, it's Elon Musk. Now, he wants to take this company completely private and he wants then to have what he's calling absolute free speech. So he was apparently quite exercised at people like Donald Trump being banned from Twitter and because of the belief, and I think it's a really legitimate belief, that that his pronunciations after the election claiming that, that the election was stolen, etc., etc., really pushed the temperature in America, political and the cultural temperature, past boiling point and hence you had January 6th, etc. But he believes that if you want free speech, you have to have absolute free speech. So I think it's a pretty safe bet that if he did become the sole owner of Twitter, you would have Donald Trump back on Twitter, you would have Steve Bannon, you would have all these people uh, that, that Twitter decided to ban in, in the aftermath of the, the January 6th insurrection. So this he seems to think that if he takes it private, well, yes, then it's going to be a free for all and that it will be, you know, literally that I suppose controversy will, will bring people to it more than, than anything else. And and because if you can say whatever you want on, on social media, I mean, of course, a lot of it's going to be crazy. And we've just seen to a degree with Trump's Truth Social, where he claims you can say whatever you want, but it's a bit like uh, Henry Ford. You can get any color you want as long as it's black on, on Trump's social media. You can say anything you want, provided it's in line with what Trump believes. Yeah. Uh, so so um, again, who who knows with Musk? As I say, I wonder if this isn't all just an attention-seeking tantrum on his part. If he if he does seem to court controversy, he seems to love controversy. Controversy. He's said and done a lot of stupid things that, that for a very smart man in the last decade or so. But it gets him attention, and and you know, it, it, you sort of wonder what gallery he's playing to because he is. Is he currently the richest man in the world if he's not? He's secondly in second or third place. And, you know, as I said, like when you're a rich kid, you can afford expensive toys. Well, this Sunday on the big interview with Irishman Abroad, I sit down with Neil Delamere, who people will know from uh, his multiple TV shows, uh, the panel, of course, back in the day. Of course. And we do get into this topic of what you can and cannot say and what Neil referred to as offence archaeology, where you delve back into somebody's past to find the joke that could end them. And w- maybe the Elon Musk thing is connected to this in that pitting himself or presenting himself as this uh, ambassador for free speech. And I did try to make Twitter the place where you could say what you wanted is about enhancing his brand. Well, President Joe Biden this week made a pitch for saying what he wanted to say when he referred to what is happening in Ukraine as genocide. But it didn't go down well with everyone. Marion, tell us what the response has been to what he said and why for the past few weeks we've kind of been talking about how he needs to maybe be a bit more measured in what he's saying. Well, you know, I... uh, Joe Biden has accused um, Putin of genocide now. He has said that that it, it is genocide. In, and it's his second controversy in the last couple of weeks, because as you say, when he, he was meeting with the NATO leaders and when he was in, in Brussels, uh, he and, and the speech in Poland, uh, he which was the, end, the last stop of his tour, he said, and I may be paraphrasing now, for God's sake, this man cannot remain in power. Mm. Uh, and that was taken by a lot of people to suggest 
suggest that he was backing, you know, some kind of a coup that might be an, an internal coup within Russia or that, you know, uh, uh, Putin certainly could have used it to say, look, they're looking for regime change. Let's strike before. Let's do a preemptive strike here. So Biden has, you know, Biden came to the presidency with this self-burnished, I would say, reputation as a great international statesman. If you look at the record, he is an internationalist. He is a liberal person. He is a fairly decent human being, but he's made as many mistakes as as he's, you know, had success in terms of, you know, he supported the US invasion going into Iraq. Well, so did a lot of senators, I know, but a lot of them didn't have Biden's experience. Like he has supported things in the past that haven't been the smartest things. Now, with this, it you know, genocide is, is defined, and I think it was, um, wasn't it a, a Polish a lawyer, I believe, who, who defined it um, back after World War Two as being it was a Polish lawyer. Yeah, it was Raphael Lemkin, and he. So it was after the 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 Jewish annihilation in Europe by Hitler, and and it was basically saying that a race or tribe that it, it is an attempt by one group of people or one leader to absolutely wipe out another race or tribe of people. Now, so for the, the Nazi policies of this systemic murder and annihilation of the Jews would fit that perfectly. Now, can you legally, and of course there is the, the, um, the 1948 Convention, which is on the prevention and punishment of, on the crime of genocide, and this requires all other states, whether they're signatories to the International Court of Justice or not, that they are obliged to act. But of course, this has never been tested. So even though no derogation is allowed, you know, what does happen? So if a genocide is declared, will every country in the world rush to act? Or will they say, nah, you know, not this, like, like they're saying at the moment about, you know, Russian sanctions, etc. This isn't really our war. This is a European war. We're not going to get involved. Uh, so um, I think that, you know, Biden is right to call out Putin and to call him out repeatedly. But is this a genocide if he's, you know, is Putin trying to wipe out all 44 million Ukrainians? I don't know. I mean, certainly he's perpetrating atrocities and war crimes. I think that's indisputable. But is his end goal to wipe out all of the Ukrainian people? And and that's where you wonder if you can usefully use the genocide label, because if the, if that's not his goal, then it's not useful to use that. Now, uh, Justin Trudeau, the Canadian prime minister, supported him, you know, in, in saying that he said, yes, it needs to be said. Um, Emmanuel Macron, who's, who's, of course, caught up in his own um, presidential race at the moment, said it's escalatory and it's not helpful. Boris Johnson, in typical Boris Johnson form, tried to keep a foot on either side of the fence and say, yes, well, you know, we'd see and it's possible that he might be right. But then again, maybe he won't be. So I, I think that that, um, as I say, Biden uh, at this stage, I think actions probably speak louder than words in terms of helping Zelensky, in terms of helping the Ukraine. Now, the US has stepped up its age. It's stepped up the sort of equipment and artillery that it's providing. And I think that that's all welcome, you know, um, because the, the, the stuff they were giving them initially really wasn't a whole lot of use. So I think that that there seems to be a feeling now that, my God, you know, Zelensky could win this thing. And, and that, you know, it, it, it's the old thing, isn't it? That 
when people, if it looks like you can win, people will help you a lot more than if it looks like you've got no chance. And I think that, that of course, um, Putin has had so many setbacks and, and so much, you know, has gone wrong with, with, with this incursion, apart from the atrocities that he's perpetrating, apart from the savagery of this war, that I, I think that probably Biden feels it's a good time to, to you know, pile on. But I would be careful about the words I use, as I said, specifically because you don't want to debase this 1948 uh, treaty. And if you call something a genocide and then nobody rushes to to respond because they decide, well, it's not really, then you actually weaken that weapon. And, and as and I said, it's, it's it's questionable and the word as well yeah. as to whether whether or not you know the world would rush to to Ukraine's aid, even if there were a genocide. So I think for Biden to be doing this as a, you know, you can't really dip a toe in the genocide waters and see what the reaction is. You know, you've you've got to respect these things and do them properly. So when we come back over on the other side on patreon.com forward slash Irishman abroad, I'm going to ask Marion if from what you've just said, is there a sense that the US is creeping towards taking action or is there some other outcome that people are viewing in the know in Washington as a more likely outcome. You mentioned Zelensky winning or is Putin downing tills and you know pulling back? Is that an option on, that's on the table? It. I want to talk about what the possible outcomes are in the second half of our discussion. We will, of course, talk about those other stories that I mentioned, including the uh, state of abortion law in America right now after Oklahoma on Tuesday made it a felony punishable by 10 years in prison to perform an abortion in the state. We'll also talk about the GOP uh, and the 10,000 expected at a Trump rally in North Carolina. Only 2,000 showed up. All of that over on patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. Come on over and hear the rest. Ready? You have the cameras rolling? This is America. A lot of people who would probably consider themselves liberal have done very well financially under the Donald Trump four years. You encouraged espionage against our people. You condemn any interference by Russia in the American election. By Russia or anybody else. Russia, please, if you can, get us Hillary Clinton's emails. Please, Russia, please. To renew America, we must revitalize our democracy.